0: A very warm welcome to the Leaders with Babies podcast. My name is Verena Hefty. I'm the CEO and founder of Leaders Plus, an award-winning social enterprise dedicated to supporting leaders with babies and with young children to continue to progress their careers. All too often, new mums and dads tell me they feel they need to choose between their career aspirations and enjoying their young children. And I just think it shouldn't have to be this way and it doesn't have to be this way. That's why I set up a fellowship programme for leadership with Babies, which includes senior leader mentors, career development support, general support with work-life balance and so on. But I realised that actually the role models that we speak to on the programme have so much more to offer and I want a wider group of people to be able to access them than can actually sit in the room during the fellowship programme. So that's why I set up this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Today, I'm delighted to interview Dame Helena Morrissey, who is Head of Personal Investing at Legal & General and the Mother of Nine. She's the founder of the 30% Club, which is a groundbreaking initiative to get 30% percent of boards female. She's also the author of the brilliant book, A Good Time to Be a Girl, which I personally have found really inspirational. So a very, very warm welcome, Helena. Thank
1: you, Verena. Great to be here.
0: Yeah. So you and I, we had a chance to talk before when you were at the House of Commons event at the start of the Leaders Plus Fellowship Programme. And you were incredibly thought provoking. So I thought I'll start this podcast with the reason of just having an hour to, to pick your brains about your experience. Why don't you, we start with you sharing how you got to where you are as a senior leader, former CEO, as well as mother of nine and maybe introduce your family as well.
1: Thank you well um, it 's a bit of a long story because i 'm fifty three years old, so i 'll try and just pick out the highlights. but I really fell into the city into financial services after studying philosophy at university, and uh, initially, actually had a very exciting couple of years in New York where there were some very inspirational women. sometimes they didn't have children necessarily, but they'd focused entirely on their careers and they seemed to enjoy their lives. but I did want children, and soon after I returned to London. I found myself the only woman in a team of sixteen running a certain type of portfolio. And I soon after had my first child, a little boy. And when I returned after my first quite short maternity leave, I was quite taken aback actually to be passed over for what was not supposed to be a big deal promotion. It was really the very first rung on the ladder. And I was told it wasn't to do with my performance. It was question mark over my commitment with a young child. So that really, I suppose, gave me a completely different perspective on how my career and motherhood might or might not work out. And from that point onward, I took very conscious programming around my career, I guess. I took responsibility for my career in, in a way that up until that point, and I was still quite young then, but I, I just thought if I worked hard if I had aptitude, someone would kind of tap me on the shoulder and uh, promote me. So I left that firm and joined a much more meritocratic, more entrepreneurial type of firm, smaller firm. And I was very lucky because I joined a firm where it was all built, the business was all built about the idea that diversity is really important to getting the best results and not You know, let's have a woman and a black person and a gay person, but actually just your personalities, your experiences. And actually my, my status as a mother was actually warmly welcomed. And I'm not saying that being a mother gives you particular insights, but certainly it was, I was accepted for who I was. And. Obviously, that first experience didn't put me off having children, but actually I found it much easier, you know, that naught to one is definitely, I think for most people with a career, the biggest challenge, because you have to adjust your life completely. Whereas I'm not saying it's been a complete breeze going from one to nine, but it's uh, been more incremental changes. And of course, during that long period, uh, since I had my first child, he's now 27 and married himself you know the world has changed uh, immeasurably and we've got the internet we didn't have before and you can work much more smartly more efficiently you don't have to be sitting at your desk but yes i left newton after 15 years as the chief executive and are now doing a, a new venture trying to encourage more women in particular to invest so they can make their
0: own choices in life fantastic and you alluded to assumptions being made at that first point when you were passed over for a promotion going forward did you change how you managed assumptions or how you managed your career Um, most definitely I mean what I'd realized was that
1: I was trying to fit in almost I mean I I don't think I ever would pretend to be like a man but I certainly tried to sort of fit in with the table that I was invited to sit sit at sometimes you know that actually I didn't feel I could bring something new um, necessarily to the discussion And I did feel, um, and I've seen this often, particularly in young women, that we do tend to be quite conscientious and think if we work hard, you know, we'll make progress. And I learned that actually you do need to strategize about your career and you need to, when something goes wrong, speak up, stand up for yourself. Not necessarily in a militant way. I don't particularly like that. I think first of all, you know, just to point out if culturally something goes wrong um, or you feel that you've been... You know, maybe held back um, because of those assumptions and just pointed out, correct it and ultimately, you know, deliver great results in what you do and
0: make sure you get the credit for them too. Do you remember an example of where you have called out that assumption or where you have positively managed your career in that way? Having joined Newton
1: Investment Management in 1994, later that year, right at the end of that year, I had my second child and while I was away on maternity leave so this is still a very long time ago while I was away my boss who was a woman resigned and Stuart Newton the founder of the firm said to me oh don't worry Helena we'll appoint someone you don't need to worry about it and he was making an assumption but actually um, not unreasonably perhaps because he didn't know me very well that actually I might be daunted by the fact that my boss had resigned, and there was then, you know, a vacuum. But instead, I asked him, I said, Look, I, I, you don't really know me, which was true at the time. Could I please take on those portfolios? You can stand over me, watch what I'm doing, and just give me a chance. And, He's a wonderful man and I'm still in touch with him and great fan of his. He said, yes, OK, uh, there were a couple of conditions, including I had to sit next to him in the office and I had to report him for duty at about five o'clock each day and tell him what I'd been up to and what trades I was thinking of doing, which was a fantastic learning experience for me. Uh, he became a really wonderful mentor. But because I put my hand up and asked and he said, OK, we'll try you out. And then three months went by and he never mentioned it again and gave me lots and lots of opportunities which i'll always be grateful for but you know it was a great example of you know,
0: if you ask then
1: sometimes you receive
0: and what went through your head at a time when you had you had very young children and five o'clock well to be fair many of us are very quick kids at five o'clock anyways but that's an early start and it's a big commitment did you ever have doubts about taking on that role did you ever worry about that
1: Yes. I mean, I don't think I'd be human if I didn't have doubts. And I think we often, again, I mean, I don't want to overgeneralize, but I've certainly noticed this in terms of young women in particular asking me for advice, that often the fear of what might go wrong puts us off from trying. And sometimes we need to think about, well, what could go right? You know, it might actually work out. I certainly, when I became uh, chief executive of Newton, which was not a sort of textbook. I mean, I hadn't had business training. I hadn't had management training. I was literally running money on a desk. And then I was asked to become the chief executive, which was obviously a fantastic opportunity. But having initially said, okay, yes, I'll do that. I suddenly thought, oh, what does the job entail? I could easily have taught myself out of it. But instead, I did recognize that it was a great opportunity, probably a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And although I obviously... Um, you know, needed supporters, mentors, uh, sounding boards, especially in the early phase. But to be honest, throughout that whole 15 years, really, I never have had all the answers to everything. I learned that actually, actually, that's not necessarily a sign of weakness, that actually we need more than one brain, more than one mind to come up with the best result often. And it can work really well. I mean, I'm a great fan of job shares because I've seen sometimes You know two brains is better than one and you'll get different skill sets so yes it it, I definitely learned that I needed to ask for help and much better to do that than to make a mistake and feel that you know I couldn't recover from it Um, I just had to make sure that I wasn't undermining my own confidence in myself when I did ask for help I just came to see that was part of you know being actually a successful CEO that
0: you needed to show that you weren't an island and that you reached out to people Mm. you describe how passionate you were about your career many of our fellows say that they do experience feelings of guilt at times even though they are passionate they want to come as one of our mentors says they want to do what they love at work but they also want to spend time with people they love as children how did you bridge that gap so
1: again i definitely if you if the description is that you suffer from that. I certainly suffer from that. But I do, I've come to terms with it and believe that it is part of, um, you know, life. And uh, if you want career, because you know you feel fulfilled and also be able to provide for your family and have choices yourself later in life, then we somehow have to reconcile ourselves to the fact we can't do all the things we want to do. And I've certainly often suffered from guilt and I mean, a big part of my own story is that after we had our fourth child, my husband became a stay-at-home dad, full-time stay-at-home dad. And although that takes away the guilt of, you know, you've got a parent there and, you know, that they love uh, the child and will do everything to protect the child and support the child, then... I'll be honest and say sometimes I wanted to do that. I wanted to go to the, you know, concerts or to go to the school meetings and so forth. Uh, And obviously I've been able to do some of that, but certainly not all. But the best advice I was ever given in that regard was a woman who was very senior at Bank of New York Merlin, which owned Newton. And she was a mother of by then grown-up twins. And she said that when her twins were young and she suffered from this, someone told her to try to lead the life you've chosen to lead. You know, don't look over your shoulder all the time at what might have been. Don't continually undermine your uh, work and your home life by regretting everything and feeling guilty at home that you're not at work and feeling guilty at work that you're not at home. But actually in that moment, try to give it all that you can and enjoy the life that you've actually either chosen to lead or have to lead um, certainly when I was in my 20s and 30s you know it has not been a choice to work and in a way I'm grateful for that because I didn't feel the I didn't it, it wasn't it genuinely wasn't something that I just said okay I'm just going to abandon my children. I never really felt that because I felt I was providing for the family and perhaps that gave me a little less of the guilt that you might have if you're choosing to take a career. But I do think it's really important that we, you know, we, we say we've taken a path and we look forwards, not back.
0: I love that advice. And actually you, you have said that at the House of Commons event. And honestly, so many times, because of course I'm setting up a startup social enterprise, it's also quite intensive. And so many times I think about that and I find it incredibly empowering that you are where you choose now. Rather than wanting to be elsewhere. So if my chicken po- pox ridden chil- children are screaming somewhere <laughs> and I know that they're, but I know they're well looked after, it is absolutely okay. And actually for me, knowing that I'm happy, I'm sure that makes me a better mother. I, I know my partner and I were saying to each other the other day when we had two weeks of holidays. Of course we love holidays. Of course we love our children <laughs> who are one and three at the moment, but actually yeah we would really miss not not uh not working and not having ambitious careers and that's absolutely okay i think sometimes there is pressure each way that you know undoubtedly
1: yeah and i think that's one of the problems today that actually the media and social media and you know lots of people have lots of opinions about how everyone should lead their lives whereas actually it's an incredibly personal thing and i do think again we we need to uh, recognizes when we can't be perfect, we can't do everything that we want to do all of the time and and we are making choices or having cho- choices um, forced upon us, having roots forced upon us and make the best of of the cards that we've been dealt or the cards that we choose to take. So, um, yeah, I don't have an answer for it all, but it certainly w- works, I think, and enables you to be, I say, very present and in the moment uh, very focused on what you're doing wherever you are and that was what this woman had told me she said the trouble is I realized that I was effectively like not being such a great mom because I was you know worried about work and I was not being such a great person in the office because I was worried about my children all the time so and I have seen that quite often which obviously we can all see it's a problem (laughs)
0: Obviously, you, you started working at a time when there wasn't that much flexible working out there, but it's coming more and more and, and I'm meeting more and more people who do want to be the CEOs of the future, but they do want to work flexible at this point in time. Do you have any advice for them about what you as a senior leader want to hear from them when they come to you discussing flexible working or any advice about how to get to the top job in um, through a flexible working pathway?
1: Well, one piece of advice I can give, which um, is really drawing from a real-life example, when I had a senior woman working for me who, uh, aged about 40, was having her first child, and she came to me just before she went on maternity leave, and she and I had been very close in her pregnancy, and she'd be talking about the experience of coming to motherhood once she's established in her career, but she was, you know, clearly not completely clear about how she was going to make it work. And she came and told me very overtly, she said... And I, I want to work flexibly for at least the first year after I return and I possibly want to work part time to start with. Yet I'm very ambitious. I want to do really uh, strategic, uh, useful, valuable work. I want to be fulfilled. I don't want to be perceived as sort of taking this lesser you know, downshifting in my career, even though temporarily at least I'll want to do somewhat you know, less hours. And it was great because she was so transparent and often companies or always companies can't really ask. They can't read your mind necessarily in terms of what you want to do. And I I think signaling and in that case, it was going part time initially, and then she came back full time, but also working more flexibly around those hours, you know, choosing her hours more, working from home when it suited her and suited the business. And just that overt you know having that talk with me made it so clear, and i was it was so easy for me then to make sure that is what happened. Um whereas so when people are silent and assume everybody else knows that they actually, want to work a bit differently but they're still very ambitious that it's not always that easy to read i also think we need to work hard to make sure that this isn't just the preserve of women that the ability to work flexibly or in a smarter way last year i did take part in um or was part of spearheading a big initiative called equal lives which is looking at the perspective of men who have caring responsibilities and careers And nine out of 10 said they wanted to play as big a part in their children's upbringing as their female partners. And of course, what was really, or not of course, but it was really illuminating listening to some of the interview feedback we had from gay fathers. Because they had said, they said, well, look, we broke societal norms already by... Being gay, we just choose who's good at what. And we've worked out how to sort of juggle, you know, home life and working life and making sure there's enough money and making sure we have career opportunities and making sure the children are well looked after between us and not according to what's uh, stereotyped. And we could learn, everybody else could learn from that, I think. But getting men involved in this and showing actually it's not just that women want to, because it's not that we want to work less. It's just we want to work in a smarter way, take advantage of technology, you know, have more energy. So we're not, you know, spending that on the commute, which, you know, is polluting the atmosphere as as well. You know, this is all very sensible, but it's been, I think, confused with just being nice to women and allowing working mothers a bit of a slack, which is not what we're on about here.
0: Absolutely. And I think there are two, there's a very big difference between flexible working that comes with a pat on the head and saying, why don't you be very grateful versus flexible working where you are welcomed to be passionate about your career progress. I love this. Well, I don't love it, but it, I think it's a very poignant statistic by the Fawcett Society that said four in 10 people apparently making assumptions about mothers being less committed to their career progress. I don't know the statistical relevance of it in detail, but I'm sure we all have anecdotal evidence of this. So if what you're saying, positively reiterating at every turn, I am passionate, I want to progress at the moment, this is what I need, that's very powerful.
1: And there are companies, I mean, a long time ago, as part of 30% Club's uh, first sort of phase of work, I asked uh, Diageo, uh, the drinks company, how they had managed to do so well in terms of not just women in the boardroom, but women in the executive levels. And one of the things they shared, which was very powerful, they said they realized that... They needed to know a bit more about where people were in their lives to make sure they weren't offering the promotion that they didn't feel they could take, or not considering them for something that actually people felt ready to take because perhaps their children were now a bit older, or they just felt they wanted to do it. So what they introduced was to ask everybody, man and woman, at the annual appraisal uh, moment, please tell us, you know, what else is going on in your life and whether now is a good. Time to take on additional responsibility, whether you want to slightly change how you work, and because it was universal, I mean I asked well didn't people find that very intrusive you know, and they so said they signaled it really clearly, obviously it wasn't compulsory you didn't have to divulge, but it meant that it was it equaled the playing field, and it meant that you know if someone was going through a horrible divorce or their parent was sick or it wasn't just about children, obviously, but often for women um, it was something related to that and it meant that then again every year there was an opportunity to reset and say actually you know this time last year I said I'm not ready to take on extra assignments now I don't want to travel but now I do and you know that was really powerful I think.
0: Did your approach of managing a large family and combining an ambitious career change between the first and the ninth child? Well, it
1: it definitely did. Um, Not least because, of course, uh, when I had my first child and I was 25 years old, I certainly had never been the sort of person that would map out every stage of my life or my career. I've always been very, let's focus on the next thing or let's focus on the today, but also then just look at the next stage rather than map it all out, as some people do. So it's definitely been an evolution uh, for me. Over that long time frame, um, my youngest child is 10. And as I mentioned, my eldest child is 27. So over a 17-year period, that was when we went from every, to work. You had to sit at the same desk. You had to make the journey into work and then be present, be f- invisible, to be working. It was hardly any computers at the time. Hard though that is to believe. And of course now really, theoretically, we can work anytime, anyplace, anywhere in the world, and we can communicate and not just sort of do our work on a individual basis, but we can create um, groups and discuss issues that we used to only be able to do face to face. So that changed hugely. And certainly, in terms of my ability to combine the two things, it absolutely was transformative. And And I remember when I was at home, I had my first child. Once a week, this big fat envelope would crash through the letterbox with all of the papers that were happening, of meetings that I might have missed. And I would take time to read them because I didn't want to get behind. But of course, when I had my last child, then, you know, people would just uh, text me, email me about something, and it just felt so much easier to stay in touch. So...
0: You mentioned in your book that you try to be home for dinner three times a week at least. In this work of world of digital availability, how do you manage your workload to achieve that? So, well, actually, again, I find it it's
1: easier to organize things so that one can leave it a a good time. I mean, I am a morning person, so it just works for me anyway that I'm having a bit of flagging moment by the time we get to sort of later in the afternoon. And it's also extremely, most importantly, it's extremely valuable to our whole family dynamic to all gather together or as many people are at home and talk about our day and talk about issues of the day and anything else that comes up. So it's, not quite sacrosanct but it's part of our family life together and then of course one can log back on and catch up with things and that does it helps in one sense because you know if there's something you forgot to do or something that you know someone will text me if it's something that's time sensitive I need to look at that evening I also realize you have to be quite disciplined about not being always on and I think that has become the bigger challenge actually that it's so easy to sort of have half an eye on you know the t v program and you know to be scrolling through your emails and answering everything so again, I've learned sometimes I just have to like leave my phone upstairs or my computer upstairs and just concentrate on doing the thing that that I'm there to do at the time, and we all have to find our rhythm about that and we all have that moment where we suddenly remember something we had not do or something crops up that we have to be available for. But it does, on balance, I think, with discipline, give us a lot more flexibility to be able to actually be certainly physically
0: at home and with our families when we need to be. What's most important to you in terms of being present with your children? I presume you have to make choices. We all make choices about where we are and where we aren't. And you've already said you can't be there for every Christmas play. So, what really matters to you? Where do you want to be present? So, I have
1: to admit, sometimes it's not written about or talked about enough, often enough, that I think it's very important to be there for the ordinary, everyday things, not just the special occasions. So, yes, of course, each of my children has got certain, you know, ceremonial activities, um, you know, receiving a prize in assembly or a concert or something or play, something like that, where clearly it's important to them, and I and I think as a somewhat serial mother at this point, <laughs> I've got reasonable antennae about when they want me to be there and when they don't often, they'll just say, I mean, they'll say, oh, mum, please don't bother with that. I don't really want you seeing me come last in the sports race or sometimes they obviously have bad Uh, self-assessment of their own ability so sometimes i miss something when they've done quite well but it's just more they will say to me i really want you to be there and you know now they're older they can speak up about that but just as importantly is you know my youngest daughter loves it when i can walk around in the morning to school she lives in walking her school is within walking distance of our house and um she especially likes if we have time to have quick breakfast before in the little cafe that's next to the school and that to her is much more important just one-on-one chatting, um, not about anything special necessarily, but just, um, having a relationship. And that I think is, well, certainly for, for me, that's how I found, you know, the happiness and the balance and the, I think the stability for our children. One thing I have to say is that when you have a lot of children, this is a point that people only know if they have a large family or come from a large family, the family itself becomes an inbuilt network. So I'm not saying we delegate everything to the children to become sort of surrogate parents or substitute parents, but people will step in and support each other as well. So again, I've learned sometimes that the best person, I mean, sometimes my children will want to talk to one of their siblings about an issue. And again, you mustn't feel too cross-ashamed, awkward resentful questioning about that sometimes that's just you know they can relate to somebody who's close to them in age and going through something similar so there's more than one way to live a life and my learning after so many years is actually to you know try to enjoy the life said earlier that you're living
0: talking about your children especially your elder children you've written books about how to combine careers with family lives you're speaking at conferences about inclusion. If there was only one thing that you would want your daughters and your sons to know about career and family life, what would it be?
1: One thing is quite a tricky one. I think the most important thing is to not look over your shoulder at what other people are doing, but to actually recognize there's no single path and play your own strengths, not somebody else's. Um, Because I mean, my children are very, very diverse. You know, there's extroverts, introverts, those who are academically very, very gifted and those who are you know, not quite so or have particular strengths at school and not across the board, sporty, not so sporty, etc. And again, if they were looking over, I think it's perhaps given them a, a bit of confidence about that, that it's not a question of copying the success of a sibling in a particular area or avoiding areas where they might've been weak, but actually just discovering for yourself. And that... Is something perhaps that one of nine children you can get more across more easily because they can see that they have diverse skills and there've been a couple of examples. For example, when my um, eldest daughter got married, two of my children are married, and it was a bit last minute in terms of you know they were going to get married in a hotel, then they decided to get married at home. So we were scrabbling around a little bit with seven weeks to go for the for the wedding, and it ended up being quite do it yourself and quite you know we were doing the music between us and we were doing the the service between us and they could all see actually a couple of them pointed out wow they said you know this, this is kind of diversity at work you know they're being slightly tongue-in-cheek about it but you know so they they see that it's not about copying it is about trying to get that competence that comes from you knowing that you're you know drawing on your own strengths and and also not afraid to fail I'm sorry if i can have a second one it's not afraid to fail i they see that I'm not perfect and sometimes I do the wrong of something that I regret or something happens that is not, you know, it's inevitable. And they can see that's not the end of the world, how you deal with that is Very important. So fail quickly. If, you, if you're not going to be working out something, just try
0: to work out quite quickly and then learn how to pick yourself up. Mm. Is there something you would do differently about how you manage your career and your family? In hindsight.
1: Well, it's difficult because I obviously, again, I'm not perfect by any stretch. And there are lots of things, small things I would have done differently. I think some of the things that I have learned with my husband, that maybe we learned by the time we had nine, (laughs) that we didn't have the first time around. You know, it's hard to argue that I should have known things then because we're all when we start as a first time parent, we're all learning on the job. This is the ultimate example of learning on the job, isn't it? You're a mother of two very young children and no one gives you a manual do they I mean there might be some parenting books but it's not the same as doing it yourself and the things that I regret most are when a child obviously needs to talk and I've missed it and you know you pick up that you know plate as soon as you can and you try to learn from making that mistake about what could you do differently to be more attuned to that and how to sometimes if somebody doesn't want to talk how to draw out of them in a way that they're comfortable to talk about what's on their minds but I think you know in this in the overall I think some of the things that we might have done for example having lots of routines in our lives the world is so full of so much upheaval it can be so destabilizing for adults let alone children and they're bombarded with all sorts of information from so many different quarters that providing a really stable base and an environment where they feel the same things will happen tend to happen with some variation but you know you will have the same tv programs that you watch or the same time you eat dinner or the same time you you know do other we have family traditions over birthdays and i'm sure every family has their own
0: but over the time we've amassed quite a lot of those traditions you've done astounding work with getting women onto boards thinking of the women and men who may be listening to this, who have young children, some of them may be on maternity, shared parental or adoption leave. What should they do now in order to be on the board in the future? Well, I
1: think we have to recognise that the boards room isn't necessarily where everybody wants to go because obviously that's one route to take. But if if you want to be on the board or if you want to be in the so-called C-suite um, in a senior executive role, then I really think it's very important to recognize that that's an ambition. As I learned the hard way in my first job, that by not really understanding one's own priorities, then you can inadvertently just miss positioning yourself for the next opportunity. I do un- always say to people, take it one step at a time. It's very hard to, if you're in a you know, graduate role to sort of see exactly your path to the boardroom. But what you can do is... Position yourself for the next role that you want. I think a lot of time the advice given to women, in particular, is all about you know how to look like you have uh, that you are have executive presence, that you can be assertive, that you know how to speak up in a meeting, that you dress in a certain way. And a lot of this is actually, I think, sometimes peripheral to the main event. That actually you need to be being perceived as in the running for that next job. And I would always have a mentor. And again, I fell into this. I didn't plan this. But if I can pass this on to help anybody, always have a mentor who or an ally, at least, who is more powerful than you. So someone who looks out for you, has your best interest at heart, you trust and who is the sounding board. And again, it can be, I think, very isolating in any career path because you're sort of you know, trying to forge your way ahead. And everybody has obstacles. Everybody uncovers blockers, has blockers, as well as enablers. And a mentor can give you some perspective if something goes wrong and,
0: you know, help you move on and hopefully upwards. Mm, Absolutely. Were you ever tempted to leave work? Was there ever a moment that could have left you going down a different route? And how did you deal with that?
1: So when I was expecting my first child I definitely felt very torn about just the concept of leaving him and obviously I didn't know what it would be like to be a parent and certainly I think like lots of first-time mums do I completely fell in love with my (laughs) newborn baby and I felt very upset about the thought of leaving him. Uh, Not upset about the idea of returning to work as such but the idea of leaving him and managed that in two ways I guess. One was in fact, he went to a nursery in the city, a day nursery, and I would bring him into work. And actually, I could go down and visit him at lunchtime. So it was um, not quite the same separation as it might have been if I was leaving him at home and commuting myself and a longer day. But also, just going back to that point that actually I actually didn't have a lot of choice. Uh, this was at a stage in my career when, you know, my husband and I had a, a giant mortgage, we had very very limited money neither of us were on a senior salary interest rates were in double double digits you know they were very very high 15 percent, i think was the peak and we had never negative equity in our home you know the whole thing financially we were struggling and that did really make me hungry because a we had more money going out than coming in which meant that we something had to give and i was i had to find a a more high paying job. And it really did work through that difficult time, financially, but also emotionally. Then I was so invested in it, in my career, but also feel that, felt that I had worked out how to try to be a good mother as well as forge a successful career. So it was almost like the moment had passed then, not that I ever, not that I never had another pang of regret or failed to follow my own advice about living my own life, But that really, I suppose, you know, put pay to any temptation that it really wasn't a choice. Mm.
0: Do you have a favourite moment of combining a leadership career with lots of children?
1: Well, there was a lovely moment when when I was at Newton. We sponsored the women's boat race between Oxford and Cambridge. And this was an exciting development for that race, um, as well as you know, I've felt for a long time that sports, very team of sports, very important part of girls' education, and not necessarily paid enough. Anyway, it was very exciting but in 2015 when the women's were rowing on the same day and the same course as the men, and it was all covered by the BBC. So, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. It was one event in one sport, but uh, an iconic event for the UK and very exciting. And and all my family came, and just when my husband and I were in a boat behind the. Race, and I looked across, and they were at the finish line, all waving. And it also, because I knew they were really proud, you know, they felt really excited by the. They could see the breakthrough, you know. And then some of them, you know, knew some of the rowers and so forth in the in the men's boat at least. But they got into it, and you could see that actually quite inspired them, and it was quite exciting. And so that for me was a lovely moment when it sort of all came together, and it
0: meant something to them. Fantastic. So are we there yet in terms of gender equality and career progression for parents? Well, I have to say,
1: although we've made great progress, certainly in my over 30 years in uh, my career, I, I think it's unfinished business. And in particular, I do need to reference, I think we've still got lots of cultural barriers, particularly not just for, for working mothers, actually for working fathers as well. And that came out in the Equal Live survey about men. They said that this was particularly actually if they had elderly parents. They often hadn't told their employer for fear of, you know, being, being held against them in terms of career progression. If they had to you know, leave early to, to go and see their father or something. And it was really quite sad uh, hearing these stories from men. And then I hear a lot of stories from women. Even today, uh, every week, women approach me and tell me about how they have been either overtly discriminated against or feel very challenged in terms of being accepted for who they are as a as a working mother and i do think we need to acknowledge that and not try and present ourselves to ourselves that everything is fixed i I suppose i want to have a message of hope about that because i do want to encourage people to tell their stories and to tell find a safe space in their employment as well to make sure that those stories get heard. Uh, There's some very powerful examples. For example, Deloitte has done an amazing thing where they were struggling to get across how people should behave to each other in an inclusive way and ended up having 16 women share their stories about their experiences about being bullied, harassed or discriminated against. They got actors to play the parts and then they played a tape to all the partners and then all of the next layer down eventually and they said it was just complete eye-opener and often people just don't know it's not an excuse but they don't know what's really going on there's a big gap between the ceo and you know the junior person on the desk you know who's struggling and feeling that they are not being treated in an inclusive way so i want to encourage people to have the courage to speak up and If they can't find someone to share it with, then perhaps through yourself, to share their message with me. And I'm planning on trying to compile some of these stories just, again, to show how much work we still have to do, because I'm conscious that there's a lot of headline progress, but a lot of women's experiences
0: and parents' experiences are quite different. Thank you very much. If you'd like to share with Helena your personal story of discrimination for her project, you can get in touch with her on Helena L. Morrissey at gmail.com, which she generously has offered to give away because she's really passionate about hearing from you. That's helenalmorrissey at gmail.com with two R's and two S's. If you are passionate about the things we discussed today, and if you want us to spread this work further, the best way to support it is by pressing the subscribe button right now and leaving a review on the platform where you listen to podcasts. Obviously. A five-star review is amazing. It makes me very, very happy and also it helps us reach more people. Also, if you'd like to get involved in the Leaders Plus Fellowship, I'd love to hear from you. You can register interest on www.leadersplus.org.uk and that will send a direct email to me. If you have any thoughts or opinions on the conversation today, again, I encourage you to join the conversation with me. You can email me on ferina at leadersplus.org.uk. You can also tweet at leaders underscore plus which is a twitter account i manage and the same on instagram as well i'm really looking forward to hearing from you and thank you so much for listening see you next time